Geeks and Nerds presents Publishing Insider. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. You're listening to the Publishing Insider spin-off series where we talk to publishing insiders to give you an in-depth insight into the secret business of publishing. We are your hosts, Danny V and author Adrian Beck. Yes, and Amelia Lush is joining us today. She's the head of children's and YA programs for the Sydney Writers Festival, a bookseller for over a decade. Amelia has been a stellar prize judge, a Guardian columnist, and is a prior recipient of the Penguin Random House Young Bookseller of the Year Award and Elizabeth Riley Fellowship for Children's Literature. Welcome to the podcast, Amelia Lush. Hooray! Thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute delight to be here. And what an impressive bio. We're going to talk about all of that. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we need a few hours to get through all, all the do. achievements we of hope one Amelia Lush. Put a few hours aside for us today. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, um, I've I've got a cat sitter for my cat. Um, <laughs> I've organised my partner to bring me dinner in a few hours. I think Ooh, we're good. Like, I've like this. this. You've got to bunk it if things get, you know, worrying. Um, <laughs> you have nailed yeah, I'm here, I'm present. Love it. I love it so much. What we're really interested in, though, is the Writers' Festival. Can you tell us Mm -hmm. about your role as head of KID and YA for the Sydney Writers' Festival, which, can I add, this year was amazing. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, my job, I work year-round. There's, I think, about 10 of us that are part of the core staff at the festival. Um, And it has sort of three major components, my program. There's the education program, which is primary school days, secondary school days, student sessions, which sees, you know, roughly about 10,000 kids. Um, there's the public program, you know, which you might be familiar with, like Family Day, All Day YA. And then there's also Rust the Story Bus, which is kind of the program I run the, uh, the other six months of the year that the festival isn't in its full flight planning mode. Um, and that's a, a program that runs for eight weeks that heads into schools in Western Sydney and regional New South Wales, where we see about 8,000 kids and every kid gets a free book. Um, so that, that's my year, uh, all of those projects. And they, they overlap and... They knock heads with one another, but um, it's all in all a pretty good job. It's a pretty packed year. Now, Amelia, how long did you have to learn? How long How, how long was the process learning how to drive the bus? <laughs> um, well, I had to get my driver's licence first. And as someone who lives in Sydney, you know, I still haven't done that. So, oh, no. You know, the, the tour the, the did have to get reshaped for, you know, I had to employ a bus driver, basically. I see. Um, I see. You know, That's probably which, smart. It was definitely the coolest person on the tour. You go into a, a school with a bus driver and you're always going to play second fiddle. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, I have, I've done my research on you, Amelia, because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a professional podcaster, as you picked oh. up already. Um, I have. <laughs> thank you. Um, now, I know, in fact, I know this firsthand because when I was up at the Sydney Writers' Festival a couple of years ago now, um, you were so very helpful. You've got, you've got so many, a million things going on at once. And you're still helping me find a silly old spot in the corner so I could do a podcast. And I'm thinking, surely she's got minions to do this. But no, she's like, no, no, there is not a single minion. I am it. I am the entire kids programming team. You, uh, you do it all. You can't relax. Yeah. You've got a big brain no. working the whole time. I mean, no, I'm terrible at relaxing. How are um, you during the festival? Are you like on edge the whole time or, or is, are you the t- sort of person that needs a lot of things happening at once? I like to think that during the festival is my time to shine because it's the only time my inability to be still and do nothing, you know, is has a place and a purpose. <laughs> it's, it's um, useful. <laughs> it's, you know, I think that children's authors particularly are generally a fairly independent bunch. So there is occasionally the, the 
the odd clash where I'm like, no, let me do this for you. Let me help you, please. Um, let me take care of that. And um, that was Adrian. Yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah, Adrian needed me for something. So he was slightly less. You know, <laughs> he was um, a little bit more needy than usual. Uh, yeah. But no, look, I think that anyone that's ever worked in any kind of event space knows what it's like when it's happening. Like you, you've, you know, you're going to crash crazy at the end of it, but it is so good to feel useful and have a job. And, and in a way, being a programmer, you don't always have a job once the festival is actually happening. It's in the hands of the operations and production team. Um, it's in the hands of the authors. It's in the hands of the kids and everyone that's attending. And, and you're, if, if you've done your job right, you often don't have much to do. Ah. Uh, so I often found solace in like uncurling computer cables and, you know, <laughs> for authors and, and doing odd little tasks and getting them coffees and things because, you know, I shouldn't actually have much to do once the festival really kicks off. I love that. I love that if you've done your job well when it's happening, you don't have much to do. That's perfect. Mm. I love that mm. so much. But and it means I really need to find things to do because yeah. like, you, <laughs> you can't sit still when this thing that's been your baby for a year yeah. suddenly is other people's and it's out yep. in the world and people are engaging with it. I, I find it really hard to actually watch the sessions yeah. that I've programmed. I, I watch them long enough to know they're going well, but beyond that, I find them really, actually really hard to sit through. Mm. <laughs> is that because it's stressful? Oh, it's just... It feels really exposing. Like, I don't know, you, you you have all these intentions for what a session's, how, what's going to work. You know, you, you don't really know. You There's a lot of inference involved in, in deciding how a session will go or who you're pairing up. And, and once it actually is rolling, you can't do anything about it. And so you actually watching people engage with the program can feel quite, uh, out of control and out of your hands and and I, I think that's I think it's quite a common experience for for event programmers is actually seeing the events happen in mm. real time can be quite quite hard yeah. I'm, I'm getting I'm picking up the vibe that you would get it's like I'm getting nervous just yeah. <laughs> inside a stage especially, oh is it working are they connecting I mean, are they saying what I thought they were going to say you know what this is like it's <laughs> especially when it's kids in the audience. Yeah. Cuz there's no way to hide there. No. If they're not interested if they if they it's not working. Like, mm. you yeah. know, what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. And they they need the, That's right. They don't do the polite laugh the no, kids. No. No, no, they're not going to humor anyone. <laughs> well, I went to this festival this year and I took my two children who are 7 and 8 and they just loved it so much as did I. And it was just this amazing space for the kids where you could just go into the little kids section and there were so many activities happening, so much for them to do. But they were engaged in everything. I, I reckon I was in that room for like three or four hours, <laughs> just going from one thing to the next, one thing to the next. And the kids gave it a 9.5. I think they they didn't give it a full 10 because I didn't give them a second ice cream. So that was on, <laughs> that was on me. So I apologise for that. But when you were planning it, you know, what was your original vision? Did it sort of look like what you had envisioned to begin with? Because it was amazing. I loved it so much. Oh, it's so hard to, like, vision for me when it comes to the festival is, is not so much about the actual physical space. It's about the experience that someone going to it will have. Um, you know, I kind of believe firmly in kind of kid-first programming. Like, what mm -hmm. if a kid shows up with their family and they're there for two to four hours, which is, I reckon, the max you can ever assume any family's going to be there. Sometimes they stay longer, which is great, which means they get to do more. But if they're only there for two hours, if they go to one session and they have an hour to go to, you know, the big backyard, which is where all the activities are, what's that experience like for them? What will they get to do? Um, how long do, can I hold their attention for? 
Um, is there enough variation? If there are a kid who likes information, if there are a kid who likes drawing, like what, what am I doing to make sure that all of those different kind of uh, readers and artists are kind of uh, connected with, you know, through the program. So in that sense, the vision really, really came to life. You know, it, it really felt like that happened this year, which was really cool. And, and so much of that is, is knowing the authors and the illustrators and knowing what is a fair thing to ask of them and trusting them when they say they're up for it. And um, that partnership that kind of exists between, you know, the, the kids book creators and, and myself and going, well, this is the idea I have. Can we do it? Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the physical space, that, that was sort of a circumstance more than yeah. anything we we had less venues this year you know the festival was smaller we didn't know if we would even have one until you know really eight months out which was mm. when we decided you know normally it's 12 months out um everything was condensed in a way uh that was put so much pressure on decisions um there were so many more restrictions at hand that we, we hadn't ever had to deal with before particularly around movement of people and capacities and um but, you know, when, when we were thinking of compromises, because everything in the, in the festival is about compromise and, and collaboration between departments, and uh, we normally have two full stages for Family Day running simultaneously, and then we have the activity space. And this year, I couldn't have both stages, but I was like, well, what if we take over Blacksmith's Workshop? What if we put Family Day at the very heart and centre of the festival, visible to everyone else? Normally, you don't know it's happening unless yeah. you're attending it yourself. Yeah. And I loved that idea. I loved the idea that it would be going off and all these very serious adults going to talk about very serious <laughs> politics and, you know, and, and person and self and all these very big things would then go see a guitar, you know, air guitar um, competition happening uh, as they're on their way to or from that event. Yeah. That was what was so cool about it. It yeah. really was. because And you saw a mix of people because while my kids mm. were doing whatever they were doing, they were watching Matt Cosgrove draw, they were mm. getting badges made, they were lining up to get Mick Elliott. Mick Elliott was a machine that day. He oh, just my gosh. So many caricatures. He I just didn't believe. stop. I, was... I said to him, I was in the line, I said, can I get you a water or something or a donut or something. He did have, he did have three volunteers looking he after did, him all he day. He goes, I've got, he all, had I've got scheduled breaks. He did. He did. Um, he know, goes, I've got my sure people. Our, the union would be happy. So um, he, he said, I've got my people to do that. I said, are you yeah. sure? You just look smashed. Can I do anything for you? But he was doing such a great job. But um, yeah, that was really cool because then you bump into people and I remember mm. my kids were doing their thing and then I, you know, met up with Gabriel Bogmosa just mm. sit, sitting out in the cafe while the kids thing was happening and while the adults thing was happening as well. Like it was just such yeah. a good vibe. I loved so yeah, much. no, it was really, it felt really special. Mm. You know, when you spend, you know, we spent the entire lead up to that festival believing that there was a good chance it might not happen. You know, yeah. we knew that we were, yeah. I mean, something only needed to happen a week before for yeah. it all to go away. And holding that truth while also hoping for it, while also planning for its success mm. is actually like it, it takes a toll over time. Oh, no, and absolutely. I, I don't think it's gone. I don't mm, think that that's trauma. You, know, you, it, you, you have to temper your hope in a way that yeah. I don't think humans are conditioned for. Mm, yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah. But mm. my, my favorite, one of my favorite was like Gus Gordon just reading his oh, picture books to, yeah. you know, there was going to be 50 kids on the mat, you know, just all squashed together. And he was just reading his book. And I was like, oh, this is just glorious like it was just a dream so I didn't actually want to go I was like I'm ready kids four hours let's do this yeah no it's it's getting to see those little moments and really I have this odd disconnect between what I know will happen and actually 
seeing it happen. Like mm. there's something particularly about Storytime Clubhouse where I constantly am worried there'll only ever be three people watching a story. And then I'm like, reading a story to three people is great. That's fine. Everyone's getting paid to be yeah. there. No one, like it's not wasting anyone's time. The bookshop's active, like, but but it's never the case. It is always packed. You know, yep. it is always full of people. There's always at least 20 people sitting down. Sometimes there's 50, sometimes there's 60, but it feels special. It feels full always. And that's always the bit I forget the fastest and take the longest <laughs> to remember um, in that I don't until it's happening. <laughs> I tell you what I'm learning is you have to have nerves of steel to be a festival programmer. Absolutely. You have yeah. to, to be well, wild hide tightly. things, push them right down. I hide them <laughs> really well. Yes. Um, yes. Never Swallow let your anyone emotions. know what's going on inside your head. Wow, this is turning into a therapy <laughs> the, session. The furiously, the furiously paddling duck is always the metaphor I like, where yeah. I only ever want people to see me gliding on the surface, mm-hmm. but underneath, underneath my legs are just going like crazy, <laughs> you know, to make that glide look as effortless as possible. Well, yeah. you do, you do look like an effortless glider, if I can say oh, that. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> it was spot on. I've been raving about this festival for ages, and Adrian's been really jealous because. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. But I loved it when I was there. Yes, it was was, amazing. That was that was pretty special. It was amazing. Yeah, it Um, was very special. Thank you. It was great. Hey, Amelia, mm -hmm. I want to get inside your head a little further. Mm -hmm. Like, if we can Mm -hmm. broaden this out a bit, Mm -hmm. Uh, a festival programmer. How do they? How do they think? How do they approach it? Do they like have a have a hit list? Like, you know, one in those you know uh, in those cop dramas where you've got all these (laughs) suspects on the wall, and you're like, I need to get that person, that person, this person. Like, how do you put it all together? Is it like a recipe? What what um, what is it all about, Amelia? <laughs> look, I can only speak to how I do it. You know, I think I do think there's something different to programming for young people, to programming, you know, a festival for adults. Like I feel like I program on behalf of a readership rather than to my own uh, taste and and reading habits. Yeah. Um, I would I think I'm really lucky. I was a bookseller for ten years before I did this job. I don't I don't know how you do this job if you hadn't been. Yeah. I don't know how you get to um, know about the books in the industry and the, the kind of the pool of talent if you haven't had that background. Um, but, you know, I think a lot about the flow of the day. You know, I think a lot about if you have a family of two kids and you come in the morning and you stay till the afternoon, what what engages the family? How do you have that flow of the day? Mm-hmm. If you have, like, anchor events, like the biggest name authors, what are you doing around that event to make sure other authors benefit the most from the, the draw that that one might have? You know, I make sure that there's not com- competition between sessions too much. So if, you know, we've got a couple of great junior fiction authors, I wouldn't put them on at the same time wherever I can. You know, the, the little things like that so that there's not too many terrible choices that have to be made when you want to attend the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot about a balance of storytelling, like what, different styles of storytelling and presenting there are. You know, I want to make sure that there's plenty of visual storytelling, um, factual stuff. I think that lots of kids engage with books through through facts and, and information. Um, I love things that are fast and funny and things that are slow and thoughtful and, and, and making sure that all of that gets to exist in this one whole piece. Um, and so that means that it takes a long time. You know, you spend a, a year on it, really, and you, I have this one excel spreadsheet that is everything it is mm-hmm. tabs right. of all my ideas <laughs> all of my thoughts things that i'd like to see happen things that might not work this year but i should think about next year um major releases because that's a big part of it you know i i'm still a bookseller at heart and so really wanting to celebrate the stuff that comes out around my festival 
especially stuff by Sydney and New South Wales authors is really important. Making sure that there's like entry points to the festival, like particularly for debut um, illustrators and debut picture book authors and stuff, making sure there's opportunities within that program for them to get their first taste of the festival and being a participant. Um, and, you know, ideally developing a relationship with this talent and, and getting to work with them over the years to get to a point where maybe they get to be on the primary school days program, which is the biggest event on the whole program, which puts you in front of 2000 kids at Sydney Town Hall, you know, and so that 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 kind of holistic approach to it and looking at it as, as a series of events over many years, rather than just um, you know, the one year. Like I, I want to do something on video games. Like storytelling in video games is huge. Wow. Kids are coding. They're writing stories yeah. to, to, with this code to, to create a narrative and a problem and a solution. And and that is like, that is valid storytelling to me. Absolutely. So, you know, I sit on that for a bit and I go, well, what does that look like? Like, how do I do that as an event? And mm. and that's often a couple of years in in. Wow. That's, that's how I do it. I don't know how other people do it. Right. That's amazing. Wait till I tell my kids there's going to be a gamer thing happening. Well, I, mean, I don't know there is yet. But like <laughs> but that, the possibility. That yeah, the that's blow their little minds. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think on the, the other side of things for me, it's also about it's really important to me that a diversity of perspective is always yeah. present on the program. Yeah. You know, we still have an incredibly white publishing industry, um, both on the publisher side and the author side. And so it, it, it is hard sometimes to make sure that, you know, there is quite a diverse range of authors on the program, but it's, it's important that that, that is done every yeah, year. Absolutely. Um, yeah. There's no excuse for it not to be. So, you know, yeah. all of those things are what makes my job fun. Yeah. So much to consider. And um, Amelia, you've, uh, you've got that Excel spreadsheet backed up, right? Oh, there's so many copies. <laughs> of oh, thank it's, goodness. It, um, no, I know you've got worry. nerves of steel, but no, no, my we, goodness. There, it is not only just backed up through our organisational <laughs> network, I also create a copy of it, you know, and it's also on my OneDrive and it's also on, yeah, no, don't don't worry. Smart, smart, very smart. Yeah. Adrian's feeling yeah. nervous just listening I, to you. No, no, I'm, I'm trust so me, <laughs> I, am, I, I love admin and I don't like losing things. So, um, yeah, that that is definitely... Uh, taken care of sounds like excellent a dream job though honestly the way you're talking about it just sounds amazing yeah it's it's very very cool i wanted this job for a fair few years before i got it so mm. i knew i'd have it at some point in my life i just didn't know when it would be i love that awesome yeah hey you know others others that uh, that i noticed do a great job at festivals mm-hmm. and they are the volunteers they oh. are everywhere and they're so pumped and they're so helpful and they make sure everyone has a great time i don't even think that these that sorts of festivals would be possible without volunteers what do you reckon amelia I, they, I, they absolutely would not be. Like, there is no way that any arts festival in this country would happen without its volunteer base. Um, we have had volunteers that have been with us for 20 years, like since Amazing. the very first wow. festival. And maybe it's not 20 years, but it's, you know, the length of the festival. That's amazing. However long it's been. You know, we have, um, I've, I've had these wonderful moments where retired school librarians who are now volunteering, you know, in their retirement are now working at the festival. So the people that were part of my very first book selling job are now volunteers. People that I worked with at the CBCA are volunteers. You know, the, the, the way that the volunteer cohort represents, you know, the book loving community um, in this kind of microcosm is, is so cool. And I think that probably contributes to their enthusiasm mm. um, for, the, for the festival and what it does. And, but they're incredible. You know, I've worked with them now for, you know, three years and three Rust tours and, and three festivals in some, you know, the second one not really getting to go to go ahead but 
they're remarkable. Like I, we are absolutely relying on them and grateful for them. And yeah. If you were, if you wanted to be a volunteer, what do you need to do, Amelia? Do you need to bake a cake and send it to you or? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's you, a good start. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Chocolates uh, perhaps. Um, <laughs> maybe tickets it, to the movies. Anything like that would help. No, nothing transactional at all. All, the, all you need to do is go to the Writers Festival website and fill out a little expression of interest form. And then when the time comes for the new volunteer cohort to get on board, uh, I think you receive an email. Um, we have a few little, like, if people want to volunteer with Rust the Bus, then they have to have done a festival before. Mm. You know, it's there's little, there's certain duties, you know, within the volunteers, we have volunteer supervisors, certain roles that, you know, require a little bit more experience, um, a, a couple of festivals of experience. But, you know, to become, you know, a first-year volunteer, there's a website link that right. you can fill out and, yeah. Okay, and if, if people would like the, that information, feel free to send me some cupcakes and I'll pass that, that website <laughs> yeah, sorry, on to Sorry, I you. forgot to say yeah. that. If you yeah. want to be a volunteer, you need to send Adrian cupcakes. Uh, and that. I'll tell you where to hit the link. <laughs> yeah. And then, wow. and then don't mention the cupcakes to the organisers. <laughs> no. It's no, sort of this we, sort of nudge, you know, nudge, wink, wink yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. 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 And put a caramel egg on top. Then yeah. Perfect. Done deal. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> now, I loved your article way back in 2019 about treasuring picture books and the memories they hold for us. And I think that is true for all of us who love books or who write books or you know, have kids of our own. Is this why kids' books are so special even when you're an adult because they just take you back to a time, you know, when all the memories of childhood, et cetera? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think working as a bookseller, one of my favourite things was to see people my age who didn't have kids yet come into the bookshop and all the memories that would assault them when they came into the picture book section yeah. um, because you know keeping a lot of books that have been around for a long time is a really lovely way to get people connected to the idea of buying a book for, for a new child or for you know a birthday or something like that I think you know so I hope for most kids you know being read to is a place of is a memory of like safety and warmth yeah. and like love and um and attention and all those wonderful things that make for, you know, happy childhoods and, you know, getting to be read to in the classroom is so special. And, you know, I think teachers get less and less time these days to actually read to their students. Um, there's so many kind of curriculum things that they have to do. And I wish that that was part of it. You know, being read to is such a mm -hmm. accessible way to experience a story together. Yeah. Um, and I mean, stories are, reading and stories are everything when you're a yeah, kid, you know? Absolutely. And I, I actually get really disappointed when you stop reading to kids who are older. Like I mm -hmm. was a high school teacher for 17 years and I would always read even to year 12 and I would just say, I'm going to read this chapter to you or this story to you because I think people think that, you know, teenagers don't want to be read to, but they loved it. You know, they loved that 15 minutes of just being read to, you know. So I think even when kids get older, it can still be really beneficial. I mean, I love, you know, we all I love, love being art. Yeah. No, I love being <laughs> read to. I'm like, I love audiobooks. You know, if I want to really, like, I'm a really fast reader and yep. things like audiobooks make me slow the hell down yeah. and actually, you know, listen to each word as it kind of follows. The, like, the next, it's just reading is one thing, but listening is, yeah. is a very different experience. And, mm. um, uh, yeah, no, I think I also think it, it makes it makes if you're in high school and you are not a great reader, mm -hmm. you know, being read to actually allows you to experience a story at the same level as your peers. Exactly. You know, and, you know, if, if you potentially have dyslexia or things that get in the way of really enjoying the comprehension of, of a story, yep. then 
being read to and listening to that story and the auditory processing of that is is a wonderful thing. And, yeah. you know, it frustrates me when people talk about audiobooks as not being reading. Yes. Mm. You know, because, like, yes, maybe it's not technically I am looking at words on a page and I'm turning that into sentences that then create a story in my <laughs> mind. But if reading is actually about engaging with storytelling, then... It is. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. Completely. Mm. I mean, particularly with kids that have got uh, reading uh, challenges, mm. they their comprehension of story is right up here, whereas, you know, the, their um, reading ability may be a little lacking. Um, but they can they still want to read the same stories as their peers. Yeah. So I'm all for audiobooks. I think they're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. Hey, Amelia, you are a kids book expert as we all know mm -hmm. um i think <laughs> if i think of uh you know when i'm trying to think of who's the biggest kids book expert in the world i think of you amelia well that's why um, we have her on that's yeah. why we asked her to come on so, so <laughs> with that in mind i wanted to ask you what would you like to see more of in kids books into the future what's sort of floating your boat at the moment and what would you like to see what direction would you like to see it heading i mean i think that you know within the australian publishing industry i I am seeing some really phenomenal nonfiction books from Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander writers, but I'm not seeing a lot of junior fiction. I'm not seeing a lot of middle grade. You know, mm -hmm. I think that that is a real absence yeah. um, in the industry. I think Magabala is doing some amazing junior fiction, um, but we're not we're not seeing much at all. I, I mean, I don't know many middle grade titles at all. You know, and we are doing some wonderful middle grade publishing at the moment. We are getting some really wonderful stories happening, but the um, Indigenous perspectives is not just not present in, in that part of the, the industry. And that it feels notable and even more notable every year we go by and every festival I have the program where that is not an option once again. And um, I, I find it quite frustrating at this point. You know, there's not really an excuse anymore. Mm. Um, if the manuscripts aren't arriving, then create programs that help them get developed. You know, I, I, I don't understand at this point why I haven't seen any change in the 13 years that I've been in this industry or 14 years. Um, I think on a junior fiction level, um, you know, there is some really wonderful commercial stuff happening, which I think is great for, you know, habit-forming reading, you know, which I think is, is everything when you're that age. I think... Big series, I don't have a problem with them. I've never had a problem with them. Um, I, I think for kids, if they find something they like and it turns out there's 15 of them, happy days, right? <laughs> like it's not, I, I, I've never been of the school of thought where, you know, the quality is everything. I think that, you know, if you find something that means a kid reads every night, yep. every week for a period of time, then that's a habit of reading every night, every week. Yeah. And at the other end of it, you might get an opportunity to turn that into something else, you know. Yeah. And um, so I think with, but I do think with junior fiction, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing it's still so gendered. It's still, still very much like this is a boy series, this is a girl yeah. series. The boy series always seems to tend to be focused in, you know, very certain kinds of humour and the the girls series are always about friendship and like they are packaged in very certain ways. Yeah. And I would like to see more titles that exist somewhere in between, yeah. um, you yeah. know, and yeah, I think, I mean, they're things that, I mean, they're things that I've wanted forever, you know, since yeah. I first started as a bookseller. Um, mm. I, I want to see more, you know, the genre fiction for teens in Australia is still very, very white. Um, you know, I want to see more fantasy sci-fi, that has some cultural diversity in it. Um, 
you know, we're starting to see some really great graphic novels coming out, which is amazing. That would have something that I would have said two years ago that we need more. Mm. Um, but there's some great stuff on its way or in product, you know, in, you know, pre-production or whatever you want to call it um, and already out. So I feel really happy to see that. Yeah, um, you make such good point. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think, you know, we do see in this industry a lot of marketing first publishing, you know, yeah. where marketing has identified a gap in the market yep. and a book gets published to fill it. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that doesn't always result in a bad book. Yeah. But there's something in the process that I think it loses a little bit of heart yeah. every now and then. Um, I think identifying a gap in the market as far as representation is a different thing. But when it's about moving units, yes, um, I, I, I wonder sometimes what is lost in that process. Mm. But, you know, it's um, I'm always pretty open to anything that kids engage with is a worthy book as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, um, I agree. This is why we turn to Amelia Lush. And this is why you're so loved amongst the whole industry because <laughs> you're, you're connected with everyone and everything and you know everyone and we all just absolutely love you, Amelia. So- it's just because I know how to silence my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's why we like you. <laughs> yeah. So look out. Uh, <laughs> she'll delete your Excel spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> now, we always finish these uh, Publishing Insider uh episodes with a wonderful disguised voice question we like to call the anonymous author question and we sort of like to hit our guests with something fully controversial that's going <laughs> to knock their socks off so amelia brace yourself here you better brace yourself right. here. okay so here is uh, this anonymous author question modern authors have a variety of different personalities but do they need to be performers to make good festival guests Ooh, that's a tough uh, one, Amelia. That, I mean, it's tough. And I think it's tough more for the authors than it is for anything because I think that that is an expectation on authors that particularly publishers have. And I think it is something that contributes to them often getting book deals. Um, you know, I've noticed a shift in how authors are pitched to me um, as, you know, as a, as a programmer that, you know, this is this is the way in which they will entertain, you know. And, and I, I find that really interesting. You know, I've... I've spent a lot of time as a bookseller taking authors into schools and often their first round of author events and talking to them a bit about what they could shift and change to to engage kids a little more. Um, But it was never a personality thing. You know, it it was much more about the kind of things that teachers do, the, the way of asking rhetorical questions, you know, the way that you can use your voice, however it exists, to hold young people's attention. You know, I think about someone like Sally Rippon, who is the most gentle, calm, beautiful person. Mm. And kids respond to that. You know, they respond to her gentleness and her quiet and her calm by by reflecting that, you know. And when you put someone like Nada Moore in front of kids, they respond with the part of their character that is <laughs> boisterous and yes. outrageous and clowny and wonderful. Yeah. Gentle's um, not the word that comes to mind, though. No. no. <laughs> no and, and, you know, I mean, we, we just had this incredible group for primary school days. You know, we had Jess Townsend who, you know, Legend. just speaks earnestly and honestly about writing and about who she was as a kid and um, is comfortable on stage, but there's no bells and whistles. She's just there with the force of personality that is, you know, the delightful person that she is. You know, you have Nat, who is, as we said, you know, a born performer. Um, you, we had uh, Curly Saunders, who is this down-to-earth, you know, 
very, very meditative and thoughtful person who got kids to do a little meditation at the start wow. of her session and, and really asked them to be present in a very different way mm. and brought them right back, you know. And then Emily Rodder, you know, the, the reason half of us are still reading is adults. <laughs> she sat at a table in the middle of the stage and just chatted. Yeah. But those kids were hanging on to every word. And if you ever needed a showcase in the different ways that your personality can connect with kids, that was it. I, you know, I think that that's really important. There are as many different kids as there are adults Mm -hmm. and kids respond to calmness and quietness in the same way. I do think though, that every adult who wants to talk to kids needs to learn how, you know, and that can be within their wheelhouse. It doesn't have to be about, um, you know, getting up there and doing a cartwheel. It, (laughs) it can be quiet. You know, yeah. you can ask for a microphone, but how do you be the authority in front of them? You know, how do you make sure that they know that you're the boss and they need to listen to you without being another teacher in the room? Mm. You know, and, and those things are really important to think about when, you know, for a lot of kids authors in this country, the income earned from doing school and school events and things like that is actually sometimes more than the book contract, mm. you know, and it's sometimes what allows them to have a full-time job as an author really thinking about what you have to offer a classroom is is really important thing to do. Mm, such great advice. Oh, Fantastic. That. And uh, Millie, you just mentioned then too that you get pitched from, uh, this is a bonus question, which is, oh, yeah, which sure. is just, just out of nowhere, you know, mm. this is a uh, bonus content, this. Um, Love it. Yeah. <laughs> <Eastside. laughs> That's it. That's right. Um, you said you get pitched uh, by publishers, mm. would you say most of the authors that get on a festival bill would be pitched by publishers or do you sometimes just cherry pick those that have oh, caught no, your eye? Oh, no, I definitely do my own work. I think, you know, uh, publishers pitch authors to me, you know, twice a year generally, once for the school and the Rust program. So because mm-hmm. um, both of those launch in October and again, closer to the, you know, September, once the publishing schedule for the following year um, leading up to the festival is known or at least the major titles are known. Um but I, I am doing research about book releases all the way up to March. You know, we go live with the program. Actually, it's not March. It's more like February. Um, and publishers also check in with me if titles get brought forward or they get delayed or, you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, but I'm always looking, particularly like smaller publishing houses, like I always check in once a year with Exile and I go, hey, like we've got Storytime Clubhouse. Um, who have you got based in Sydney that might be worth, you know, that might like to be part of that? You know, I think it's really important to not just be, you know, a big five publisher kind of um, festival. Mm. Um, also, sometimes, you know, I, I need people with particular skills, like I need illustrators who maybe don't have a new book out right now or maybe won't be part of that year's pitch deck. But, you know, so I often go to the publishers with a very specific request, like what illustrators do you have in Sydney mm. or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's very, it's a constant thing. It's never, a, there's not an end point to that. Although when it comes to pitches for the main core program, those usually wrap up by the end of the year. You know, I think, you know, I think sometimes, sometimes authors who are represented by multiple publishing houses will do a like package pitch. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I tend to encourage them to do that through the publishers. Yeah. Um, but, you know, sometimes they know me and so that's possible. Um the only thing I'll say is if anyone ever does a direct to the festival pitch, and we, we get quite a few, um, actually look at what the festival does. Yeah. You know, don't just throw the same pitch at us that you do other people. You know, look at what our program is. Like we, I constantly have authors saying, oh, these are all the workshops I'm not going to do. We'll, go, we'll point out in my program where there are a lot of workshops for kids. Yeah. 
Hmm. You know, I'd love to do them, but sometimes spaces are limit, you know, and there are things, there are bigger choices we have to make. But like, I do think that it shows a level of thought and consideration when you've actually visited programs, you've looked at what they've done in the past and you go, these are the ways in which I might be able to possibly be involved. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great advice, Amelia. Amelia Lush, you're a legend. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we do love what you do. We're so, we are so lucky to have a champion like yourself of kid lit and just you know literature in general uh on our side and fighting the good fight and we really do appreciate everything you do i hope you know how much you are loved by the community uh you're an absolute star you're making me blush adrian i've gone i've gone gone bright pink on this on this zoom my heater doing its job i'm feeling quite well, it's exactly what we think, and that's why when we're putting a list together for this publishing insider, we're like, we have to speak to Amelia if she'll speak to us because oh, we love what she's honour and a privilege, please. <laughs> that's always the next question after we come up with our hit list, like if they'll speak to us. So thank you so much for speaking to us. And you know, it's it's been um so interesting to hear how your brain works and how you create these things. Because you know, when I was there, I couldn't help but think, how is this all put together? Because it's just so much going on simultaneously there's so much energy and that's what I liked about it there's so much energy about uh the festival itself so it was a real joy oh it's so wonderful to hear that because you actually don't always get to you know mm. I don't know all the kids that come I can't yeah. go find them at home and go how was it so I do I do appreciate that Thanks. well I made them give me a scorecard because I was trying to make books exciting obviously <laughs> like tell me out of 10 what was it and tell me why so you know perfect the ideal score because it's a little bit of room for improvement which makes everything interesting but it's basically almost perfect so. next year I'll just buy them endless ice creams and you'll get a 10 I'm sure that was on me I'd be happy with a nine and a half again maintain that kind of you know would be a beautiful thing fantastic thank you amelia thanks so much much.